This is Swampside Chats, a podcast where every week communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. They're making the last film. This week, we are back in the enemy camp with C. Derek Varn. We are discussing Prussianism and Socialism by Oswald Spangler. We are back. We're back in the enemy camp, behind enemy lines. Yeah. We're joined As by always. Uh, Captain C. Derek Varn, <laughs> uh, veteran of many, many left book wars. Uh, the anti-Führer himself. Yeah. Yeah. The Ernest Younger of... Re- reading, um, reading quasi... Fascist, so you don't have to since 2001, probably. Oh yeah, yeah. You you are in the enemy camp as a person. Right? Yeah, you're you're the you're the guy in the enemy camp that we had to. This is like we're fucking mm-hmm. Chuck Norris, like uh, that's right, missing an action, going back. He's still fighting the war. He doesn't know yeah. it's over. It's Rambo two. We're only supposed to be taking pictures, but instead we spring the varn. <laughs> Does okay. that mean that we're Rambo three soon, and one of us is going to sponsor the Muha- the Mujahideen against the Soviets by accident? Yeah, God forbid. <laughs> God forbid. Yeah, it's bad news. <clears throat> Stick to Rambo two, people. Everyone Rambo knows that's the most political. That's the, the most political film. Fighters. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, it that originally said well. dedicated to the Mujahideen, and they retracted it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yes. it said dedicated to the brave anti-Soviet freedom fighters of the Mujahideen. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a, what if there's like a scene where he's like high fiving Osama bin Laden, like yeah, mm-hmm. you guys, you guys are doing the right thing. Wait, 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 like literally Osama bin Laden? Yes. No, but, no, but it, as Matt, what if there was that? That'd be fucking hilarious. It was, it was like a financier prince, and it it really oh was dedicated to the Mujahideen, and then they later changed it to the brave freedom fighters of Afghanistan. Oh my god, <laughs> this is better than Beethoven scratching out Napoleon's name on Iraq. Yeah, they should have just had like a black screen with Osama bin Laden's face on it, dedicated to the brave fighters of the Mahuja. You know what? You um, know what? We need to make a movie that's dedicated to the brave freedom fighters of the Soviet Red Army in Afghanistan. Oh <laughs> there isn't there like a movie about like the Soviet Union in Afghanistan though, or am I thinking of something else? Um, I, f- I feel like they, I feel like they did kind of have like their like platoon version of that yeah i think they did actually i feel like uh i think charlie's war is actually Mm. about that indirectly i'd like i'd like to see a kind of like comrade detective read on the black hawk down like genre (laughs) film you know (laughs) the soviets are are trying to like you know imperialistically like occupy somewhere and spread their communist values it's like why don't they want communism yeah uh, Kim Jong uh, Kim Jong Un needs to take a cue from his dad and kidnap Michael Bay, and like make that movie. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, make that real. Make anime real. Please, Kim, if you're listening. Yeah, make that anime real. Make Soviet Afghanistan real. Oh wait, Soviet Do- Donald, you can't bring you can't bring Soviet Afghanistan back, Donald. No matter how hard you try, I'm sorry. It was 10 years, but they were 10 glorious years. 
What's actually interesting is um after the Red Army left Afghanistan, the uh, PDPA's army still kept fighting, and they actually started doing better, which is you know interesting how that works. <laughs> did they did they uh did they give the uh, military brass the old Russian treatment and purge all the top generals? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they eventually lost to the Mujahideen anyway. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a sad, sad story. All that. Um, right. So, I as always, I have to ask whenever we do an enemy camp episode, what the hell did we just read and why? Yeah, this why I wanted to know why you guys picked this one in particular for Spiegler because I I had not thought about this text mm. in like twenty years almost. Everybody, everybody, because it was relatively short. Everybody looks at Donald. That's, I mean, I'm the one who picked this particular text out, and I was particularly interested in reading his critique of S. Payday and his critique of Marx. Because it that's is hard kind on of... for August Babel. <laughs> like... Well, oh my god, I, I was expecting um, something different actually. I was expecting him to portray August Babel as like this subverter of the German people, but he kind of sees August Babel as like, you know, you're as this authentic, like Volk hero of the German workers. Who's, you know, yeah. leads, you know, like it's, it's very leads strange. with an iron fist who commands the respect of the people and incurs into society. Has a, has a weird soft spot for the Sparts. Not, not mm-hmm. our Spartans, mm-hmm. but the original Spartans. We have the Spartacists yeah. because they were consistent and they wanted to make a big, you know, violent, duty-bound, like, yeah. effort. Well, it starts out with him, like, just kind of, like, shitting all over the German Revolution, just heaping scorn right. upon it. Because the German Revolution of 1918. Right. Yeah, this was the German Revolution that created the Weimar Republic that was basically a half-assed, halfway-made revolution. And so when he's shitting on the German Revolution, that is what he's shitting on, is, like, this constitutional order and this, you know, he's just, like, he's really pissed off, basically, that there was a revolution, but all we got was, like, shitty centrist democracy. And so... Yeah, it was a bourgeois revolution. Yeah, he has that in common with the, um, the socialists, who are radical, at least, is that, and he's mad that the SPD or like, you know, the agents of creating this bourgeois republic. And so he thinks that socialism has been sapped of its like revolutionary vitality. And so Yeah, I think that's where his affinity with the Spartacus League comes with, is that he sees them as like the like at least very keeping true to their ideals, unlike all the other socialists who've just like made a bourgeois republic. Well, and you see this like not too often like Fairly often, I think, with, like, reactionaries that oftentimes they will kind of respect, like, far leftists who are interested in at least, like, filling, a, like, the vacancy of power or exercising power in a way that uh, creates some kind of order, you know, because at least they're doing something. Well, they see themselves reflected in a mirror darkly. They see, you know, game recognize game. We both oppose this, you know, liberal constitutional order. We both want to replace it with something of with higher principles. Just your principles are the mortal opposite of mine. Like did Maestro with the with the Jacobins and Robespierre and Paul. Yeah, the way that the Maestro talks about Babouf was interesting. How he was like, you know, he's almost sympathetic to Babouf because Babouf kind of actually like develops a critique of. Uh, you know, the Democratic Republic I mean, of France. Th- th- there's some context pieces that make this even more sensical. Like, um, uh, Spengler was a big fan of the 1918 fascist uh, manifesto. Um, 
but hated hated uh the nazis um particularly after 1933 so i mean the, yeah the, the, so he likes the early stuff surprising. he likes well, the early it, stuff basically well let's talk about let's just talk about spangler and kind of the historical circumstances he found himself in cuz spangler was kind of the philosophical voice of the free corps is kind of how i've understood it is that the whole kind of german super like you know before there was the nazi party in 1933 in power you had this whole kind of diverse movement of romantic german nationalists and and they had this like the conservative revolution is what it was exactly yeah these key figure of the conservative revolution and they weren't all i mean some of them capitulated to the nazis and apparently spiegler even um voted for hitler once but only once um yeah i I can't vote this guy (laughs) in again you know i just i don't know you know i thought he was good for the economy you know but when hitler comes to power i think spengler writes and he writes a book called the hour of decision and this book is actually extremely critical of hitler is my understanding and it's what got his work banned in the third reich but the decline of the west was that book was really important for kind of like the developing of this volkish like romantic nationalist counterculture that developed in germany and that's really the work that's the most famous is decline of the west so this was like a lesser evil vote uh i mean i think a lot of the ideas here are also ideas found in decline of the west i feel like he wants he wants somebody like hitler but not Hitler specifically. He he he's like a Vola that he thinks biological racism is vulgar. Yeah, he likes um, the spiritual side of racism. And, and he also kind of <laughs> has this like anybody can be a German as long as they get all Germany. Um, I mean, in some way, and I say that that vaguely because he is that vague. Because um, it's not even just the language. Like if you if you get into the language and adopt the forms and. You know, it's a, it's a, it's the only thing modern that's like this, I guess, is integralism, like in Brazil, you know, which is this post-racialist fascism. Yeah. Um, mm. Huh. Bas- basically, like, all, all civilizations sort of have, like, a character, an archetype. There's, like, a set of, there's, like, a, there's, like, an animating spirit or idea behind it. So that- it's, it's, it's civilization. It's civilization, basically civilization game you know you pick a, a, a nation spirit that exists throughout the whole game well that's what he thinks he thinks that like every people has like he's a theorist of national character and so he yeah. sees the german national character as inherently prussian. so uh, prussian more prussian, specifically prussian. it gives this disciplined labor focused uh hierarchical but meritocratic spirit to the prussian people and that is what socialism is and there is no socialism outside of this and so all socialism that's not prussian socialism is fake socialism this is really like a really crazy idea is there anything else to cover about him in general before we get um deeper i mean into he is he piece? is suppressed by the nazis except for, except for uh the client the decline of the west volumes yeah decline of the west like you know like i said it was a big part in the whole counterculture around uh, you know the the because you had like the Wandersvogel and like all these like weird kind of romantic uh, nationalist counterculture movements in the Weimar Republic, and what's also ironic is that you know his big book, The Decline of the West, was also really popular with the Beatniks, like the Beat Generation, like Jack Kerouac and Ginsburg yeah. and all of them. 
And, and actually, um, also really popular with CLR James is like a, a braid up on my feet all the time. But James apparently loved Spiegler, um, huh. which is Adorno also engages with Spangler a lot. But um, I think uh, I think the hippie connection is more interesting though because apparently, like this was really popular with like the beat generation and the hippie generation. And this, if this kind of, it, I don't know, just influenced their outlook a lot. I can see that in a way, because there is a kind of mysticism to the way that he looks back, like on on past civilizations. Oh yeah, no, no, it's it's like at the core of the way he like views history as a whole. Like, well, he sees history as cyclical and not linear. Like he views cyclical, not linear, not really causal either. Like there's, yeah, there's different phases. Yeah, basically he models it off a of Gothas, Gothas. I, I forget what it's called, but basically it's like the cycles of like plants. There's right. no real causality to the way the plants go through like these sort of like. I think it's called morphology. Morphology. Right. Morphology. Yeah, it go, basically like all living, and he applies he applies it to like nation he applies it to civilizations and basically all na- all civilizations go through like thousand year cycles and they have like uh they have like stages but there's no causality to it and all like all civilizations go through through these like thousand years sort of like rise sort of like uh Right. Well, he basically, yeah, he says there's like a cultural phase where the kind of the idea of the civilization develops, and then there's a phase where it, it shifts and it can only expand. So yeah, he would, and there's other there's other stuff going in there too, where when he talks about these forms of culture, um, like in the architecture and institution building, um, he's got that from De Vico. If you know Gambatista De Vico, that's yeah, where that Vico. comes from. And um, and then I mean, there's Ibn Khaldun and um, the the Tunisian. Uh, like I guess proto sociologist had a similar theory. Yeah, so, yeah. Like the whole um, what's the? There's like a kind of a, a like a joke way that people say it. it's like strong men create good times. Yeah, good times. Oh, yeah. Create hard men. Yeah. Hard men create good times. Yeah. Hard men create soft men. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Good people. Men. Soft men make hard times. Hard times yeah. make good men. Good men make good time. Like, soft yeah, men it's, make it's, me it's hard. So, <laughs> so yeah so it's it's Kondun and um Devico and Goethe and there's a whole lot of you know like all the people that Isaiah Berlin wrote about but um there's I mean what's interesting though is that, like if if you were picking his fans even even kind of contempor- uh, contemporaneously to him it wouldn't all be reactionaries um well, uh, the other thing I wanted to say before we kind of got onto the text was the third group of people I think of that were really influenced by him are the neocons, and mm-hmm. specifically the Clash um, of Civilizations thesis. Yes, exactly. Um, what's his name? Uh, fuck uh, Huntington. Did, Huntington. Yes, Huntington is very much a Samuel Huntington. And so these kind of theories of the clash of civilizations, that class struggle has been replaced by like national struggle between different civilizational groups. Like that's straight out of Spangler. Yeah, and uh, Fukuyama, um, Fukuyama's ideas about um, constitutional orders and civilizational orders are also highly Spangalian, although they do try to be more legitimately scientific than Spangler. Yeah, well, but Spangler's got. 
Spingler considers himself kind of a quasi-Hegelian. You get that in the very back end of this. So. Oh, yeah, I mean, and plus, Hegel was German or Prussian, so he has to, like... Yeah. He, it's, it's weird. He, this, he sees This is Marx the Prussian synthetic like, philosophy, is what it is. He's incorporating Hegel. He's incorporating... There's there's Kant and, like, the duty-bound description of work and why you work. And there's uh, Nietzsche. There's Nietzsche dripping off of this. But the nationalist reading of Nietzsche... But the that, Marx... The Marx yeah, is what Marx, he wants to purge. He's, no, right. But the Marx he wants to get, he wants rid, to get, get rid, rid of. He wants and to I get rid of the Marx of capital, the political economy Marx, the English Marx. Like, and the thing, the thing about Marx is that he's a lot more Prussian than Spengler is giving him credit for. If you read him in his totality, but the way that Marxists read Marx is very English. It's very. I mean, he, yeah, his his assessment of Marx is very crude, but we'll get into that. We can get into that later. Oh, yeah, his I mean, assessment yeah. of Marxism is horrible. It, he's he's English. He's a Jew. It's crude and wrong, but it, I've actually, I mean, honestly, there are Marxists who read Marx worse. Um, uh, well, so. <laughs> well, he's he's getting his reading from really from some shitty Marxists, and he's yeah, not wrong yeah, about that's the shitty Marxists. What Marxist. I was about to say, like, if if you were to base it off of like just the cruder version of like Marxism, that like sort of like basic center second international marxism it would seem more quote-unquote english than prussian i mean that that's both a good thing and a bad thing to me well, there's, uh, a, there's a there's a debate within like marxism itself like to what extent like his critique of political economy was just him doing political economy and to what extent you know there was like a more higher level of mediation going on um but is there anything else um in terms of uh spangler just in general before we full dive into the text or whatever he seems to be having a comeback he, yeah, d- d- he doesn't stay down um he c- yeah um, like like in the night like uh maybe it was deaf and june's fault many things are but um mm. in the 90s this is what happens when the symbols die derek this is what happens when they die or when they break um, or whatever in the, in the 90s i was handed this book in high school man like not this oh. one in particular, but like the death of the West, I was given to it in high school by a bunch of like punk hipsters. It's for real, um, it was, and it came in through Kerouac, um, which is like again this beatnik collection because uh, we always think of like the beatniks as as commie sympathetic. I mean, particularly Curtis Gin because Ginsburg, but a lot, it's because a lot of people don't know anything, right? But mm-hmm. like, yeah, because they don't actually like Kerouac was like a reactionary Catholic, basically. Yeah, I mean, like, so like this, it was mentioned in Kerouac, and I remember this guy named Tommy. He gave me the uh, the um, John Lee Anderson Che Guevara Revolutionary Life book and Nietzsche, uh, The Birth of Tragedy and decline of the west and i was like 16 years old <laughs> wow well at so least it was like... a grab bag you know <laughs> at least there was no ayn rand in there yeah i mean i don't i don't know i think i think spangler oddly has like a modern appeal a very modern well sort of like postmodern appeal <laughs> yeah like, yeah i can see that precisely it's because of the incommensurate what is it incommensurate ability incommensurability of people's incommensurability of like they he doesn't think communication is possible because they have different quality of thoughts basically if it, if it wasn't for his worship of prussian prussianism <coughs> like he would be interestingly non-eurocentric you know what i mean yeah right yeah but um like, well, he'd he, be like a duganist 
<laughs> yeah, well, this sorta. shit reminded me so much of Dugan. Dugan like, so much of Dugan sorta. comes from Spangler, to be honest. Jam. Yeah, what's interesting, hey. though, is, like, so much of... Relax. I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this, but, like, contemporary Gism sounds like this, too. Um, like, the critique... The critique of, um... Like, I was arguing with somebody who was, who, for you know, Chinese diaspora communist, who was telling me that, like, Confucianism, the Confucian national character, was necessary for the social co- cooperation to yeah, make, yeah. To make, so, to make Marxist socialism work. And I'm like, that is pure Spengler. Like, that is like, um, like, I'm, like, that, like, that's not even, like, a traditional, like, Maoist argument. That's like, let's recapitulate Spengler and put, and, and, like, put it in a Confucian garb and somehow make it commensurate with Mao and the thing that he hated the most about Chinese culture. <laughs> like, um, so, I mean, th- he doesn't go away. I mean, also, I think if you want to be, like, the hip you know, ethnocentrist, but want to be like, but I'm not a racist. Um, Spengler is, is going to be appealing to you because his theory of civilizations is not racialist. He does believe people um, from, from, you know, who have different biological origins could become part of a nation um, and part of that national character. And that was actually part of his defense of the Jews. Which he did make in the 1930s. So. Well, you got to give him that, I guess, on, <laughs> on the right side of the Jewish question. Oswald Spangler. He thought that he thought like, oh, they're more German than Jewish at this point. Why are we doing this to them? That's such a waste of capital and, and intelligence. That's a remarkably English justification for that, though. <laughs> yeah, Should so basically, yes. Yeah, they could labor thinks- for the nation. We'll make the Jews labor for the Prussian nation. And they'll be duty bound. Spengler's whole theory of uh, of national of characteristics. He sees the English as being this economically minded rationalist people, and this is similar to Dugan's idea about like Atlantean powers. How because they're sea based, they're more mercantile, and therefore they develop this individualistic liberal ideology. And so Spengler kind of has like a similar idea with like the English, and he sees them as like corrupting other cultures with this like utilitarian like calculating like and he was, tries to paint Marx as like a utilitarian which I thought well, was really here's, bizarre. here's what's weird though here's what I understand like reading this like why does he attribute it to their Viking origins because like where the, does that come from be, because well I mean no seriously it's because they're 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 sea peoples there's this idea um, in Europe going back to the 1700s. That the geography, not the geography, is what's determined the national characteristic and the characteristics of the race more than the more than any like biology does. Um, and so, sea peoples, because they have to work as merchants, they can't till the land, um, are seen this way. And also, I mean, there is a little bit of like soft anti-Semitism in Spengler because of that too, because merchant peoples oh, are yeah, too, individual, too individualistic. Yeah, they're, they're marauding pirates. <laughs> so, well, like, and, Mars gets and it he twice. also sees. <laughs> Sorry. No, Mars gets it twice. You know, the the individualistic yeah. merchant. You know, <laughs> not just English, but a Jew as well. It was the interesting part. We was talking about the the Russian national character, and he's like, he says that um. Basically, you can take the Russian peasant and put them in a city, and they'll still be a Russian peasant just in a city. <laughs> and I, mean, I think his, like, his, his stuff on the 
Russian aspect is really fascinating because the whole time I was wondering, right. like, why is he talking about this? You know, like, why? It seems like Lenin would be his guy. Right. You know, based on a lot of what he's written. Exactly. He would pop, a, like, a huge Sorel chubby for Lenin. Well, he says that um, he doesn't talk about Lenin. He talks about Bolshevism in general. And he talks about Bolshevism almost like it's a race. Like, he sees it as, like... Like I'm, I'm serious. You see, it's like Bolshevism as like this weird, like Asiatic form of socialism that, like, you know, of nihilism. He sees it as like this inherently, like, um, yeah, like he, he uses like the term nihilism like multiple times to, to describe it. Yeah, he talks about it in the same way that Ben Shapiro talks about rap music. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's, it's um, and it's also talks about Marx in the same way. He says that. Marxism is just all about destroying and destroying and destroying and not about constructing, whereas true socialism is about order and tradition, and he, does, he hates he, abstraction. He That's he what I think... He doesn't Got talk it. about it the same, though, because he talks about... He basically lumps Marx in with, like, the English pirate tradition. But the way... <laughs> the, the way the way he talks about, like, Bolshevism is... is it's, Yeah, it's like this otherwise, like, oriental, like, nihilistic thing that simply, like, is lashing yeah. out at, like, the West in a way that... Well, like, I think it's important, though, like, in this time period, like, there was a stark differentiation now between like marxism in the form of like social democracy but marxism in the form of bolshevism and so for a lot of people they could like almost like see like the spartacists and the bolsheviks as almost like the the fault of the false marxists almost and the, the parliamentary deal makers were like the true marxists yeah because you could you could trace a direct line from the parliamentary deal makers to yeah. marx and it was harder to do um, I mean, th the other thing with the Bolsheviks is I'm, I'm I'm sorry. I feel like I hear people saying this kind of stuff about Russia now. So, oh, uh, yeah, I was just going to say this guy sounds pretty woke. You know, oh, he's yeah. hip to Russia's yeah, schemes. He'd, he'd be a Mueller fan for sure. Yeah, um, he yeah, would love the uh, State Department uh, right Spengler now. Spengler is literally, literally just the, the German equivalent of never Trumpers when you think about it. like Spangler, mm. like. Mueller is a Prussianist. He's a product of like the, of like service of a higher cause of the state. Yeah, like you know what I like mean. Basically, like, he fed into all this ideology that built right. up into like Hitler, and then he's like, ah, no, this Hitler guy, he's too crude. Actually, he's too crude. He's too abrasive. Uh, his rate too racialist. Yeah, it, it's not it's not good enough for me. And and he's the brave, principled stance that liberals would love if it were Trump. Uh, yeah, and I'm sorry to pull the Trump equals Hitler thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah never Hitler. Never. No, no, no. Never Hitler. Hashtag. Hashtag. Never Hitler. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what, like, know, I'm gonna let it happen, but I'm gonna complain about it. He 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 does. I mean, he's he's lumped together with Ernst Jung, Junger for a reason. I mean, like. Also, Evola. He kind of reminds me of a. Oh, he's like he's a extremely Evola. like Evola. Reminds me a lot of Evola. Yeah. I'm sure he was. A, sure, he's a big influence. Avola's theory of um of of race types actually seems to come. It's an even more mystified version of this. Oh yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't be. I had never. Evola, welcome to the resistance. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm quoting well, you on that, man. You gotta be careful. Like, Avola, yeah, have have you guys read Avola's crazy books on fascism and Nazism? Like, they exist. <laughs> we a little bit. We touched a little bit of this. Yeah, yeah we did. <laughs> 
he, there's there's a whole like three books and then i think i think now they've translated his books on uh on race specifically like the it's the myth of of blood and i i'm would not be surprised I, I was trying to get a copy of it to see if um uh without paying for it obviously um to see if i could find a spiegler reference directly in it because i was like oh i wonder if he was explicitly pulling from spiegler at this point yeah, if you read this like early on, like he really like throws around blood and capital D destiny almost as like these magical incantations like designed to generate an argument. Like it's 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 uh it's it's some some fashy shit. Yeah, but it it's interesting though because I was actually I remember um I think I brought this up to Lexi ironically cuz um I was like, you know, Marks Marx and Engels actually talk about the English in the same way in a couple of spots. Like when they're shitting on Bentham and stuff. Like they actually Oh yeah. Yeah, they definitely rip into the English national character and I think Engels is quoted yeah. elsewhere is talking about the Ang- Anglo-barbarism, imperialist barbarism. You know, the empiricist and, you know, yes, calculating yeah, yeah. national Anglo- character. Anglo-Saxon theoryless barbarism. But, like, let's let's be real, though. I mean, that's that's a pretty, like, a, attractive, appealing theory when I'm thinking about no, how but miserable... No, it's weird. Like, how miserable the, the Anglophone, like, imperial cultures are. Like, uh, like in terms of their actual customs, it's just so, it's such a bitter, hard, like, you know, really dreary. Like, I don't Well, know. the thing is, though, like, Spangler sees Marx as adding too much of the abstract. Like, I think for one, when he talks about internationalism, for example, in the proletariat, he says that, oh, these are just ideas. They don't exist yeah. in reality. He calls them literary creations because they're purely negative. Like, and, and to be and to be fair, he's actually right. They are negative conceptions. Yeah, but I think a little it's, bit, it's, yeah. it's rooted in a um, hatred of abstraction and this desire for the concrete and uh, blood and soil basically like does he hate abstractions though because i feel like his his conception of race and like nation is really idealistic he pretends that it's not though mm, like but he thinks it's the most real thing he, he mm. you know yeah he thinks that it's like the, the it's like, like race is like it's like pre-ideas it's, it's, a, it's pre-conceptual it's, yeah like it's just part of your identity almost like that's it's, it's you are really thrown weird. into the world Yes, but see, his racial theories are really hard to actually parse out because, on one hand, he's really he rejects racial biologism, and we know that because of later writings, and he he actually does even talk a little bit about it being wrong in *Decline of the West*. And on the other hand, he throws blood around like it's nothing, like you know, so it's just like he, he's kind of having his cake and eating it too. Um, mm. But uh, to, a lot of a lot of quasi reactionary nationalists from this time period were doing that, like. There, there were. It's not unique to him. I think we have to kind of re- remember that that wasn't even like that out of character for like liberals of the time to do. So, um, like I've gone back and read a lot of nineteenth-century documents when they, where they talk about race in this really weird way, where sometimes they mean nation and sometimes they mean something else, but you're not quite sure what. Um. So that's not totally that vagary is not totally out of the just general milieu of the 19 of the late 19th century and we have to remember like dude the dude is 20 at the turn of the century so like he he's dead by 1936 so yeah. i mean he died young good for him but but he's dead by 1936 like 
Good it would be interesting if he like survived World War II to like get his thoughts about what the fuck just happened. You know. Yeah. yeah. Could you imagine what we'd if he'd lived like Carl Smith had lived, and we had like. 30 more years of his writings or something like i don't know if that's good or bad but yeah it'd be what, what would he thought of the golden age maybe he would have thought ah yes dawn of a new era <laughs> well I mean, he, he might the, end up being a dirty hippie i just don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah god like an aging I mean, like neoliberal like, look, at, um, look at ernst jünger for example he was one of those conservative revolutionary people and he lived into the 60s and ended up like hanging out with Albert Hoffman and doing LSD. Yeah, I was about to say he ended up being an old hippie, like it's, yeah, and, be, and being like a weird quasi reactionary anarchist, like <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange where people can go. But, can uh, I touch on one aspect of um just one more on this Russian thing where he is weirdly lucid? I just had a couple of quotes that I pulled that I thought were interesting. Um, he he basically talks about um kind of the situation of applying like you know marxism to russia he goes despite all the industrial catchwords like surplus value and expropriation the russian worker is not an urban worker not a man of the masses as in manchester essen and pittsburgh he is actually a plowman and a reaper who has left home with a hatred for the foreign power that has spoiled the true calling that his soul still clings to and then the other thing that was interesting was he goes in russia it will be replaced by a new form of czarism the only possible system for a people living under such conditions most probably this czarism will resemble the prussian scholastic system more closely than capitalist parliamentarianism and uh i feel like he actually has a couple of good points there yeah um that's that's that, and, terrifying this, yeah well, I mean, it's like, what, again, think about when we were talking about the mess today, where he would hit on something like seemingly by accident and, and is like blood hatred revenge and then say something profound and actually make a prediction that turned out being <clears throat> right. Um, yeah, that's that's the fucked up thing. Like, this is 1919. This is like 1919. So this is probably as far as they know, you know, there's still Soviets and shit, right? Like this isn't even like when it happens. <laughs> yeah, and, but I mean, like my grand, my grandfather said shit like this to me. I mean, being serious, said shit like this to me. Like, oh, it's just the Russian character that made the Bolsheviks screw up. I mean, like, yeah, no, that's what he's saying. He's he's basically saying that like the the Russian character is immutable, and so even if there's a revolution and the Tsar's overthrown, Tsarism will get like recreated in some like other new form, which is like a classic, like a. Uh, like that orientalist like trope of like looking at the Soviet Union. Huntington talks that way, like for real. So, but like social habits and like characters of peoples, like to a certain extent, they are th- they're not immutable, but they they're are a thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, but they can change, and and that's the big right. difference. Because yes, I think you know I do sometimes appeal to the lack of like you know I don't know democratic norms, so that you know after the Soviets went down, they could have like tried something else or something like. Or anything like that, I don't know. Like, well, well C.L.R. James liked uh, like Spengler. I was actually looking this up because it's relevant to what you just said. Because C.L.R. James noticed that Spengler actually had a theory of history operating in the way he described peoples. He just thought his theory of history was wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So that there is actually like a coherent, there is some kind of coherent theory here, but the, the idea of the national character, I idea is very hard to get your hand on because as soon as you think you do understand what he's talking about he's like oh no i don't mean biological race or oh no i don't mean like even in this essay he starts talking about vienna and he says vienna's really spanish it's not german 
Like because yeah, of the, obviously the, because of because of uh, all these you know um, Habsburg political traditions that set up all the institutions there. You know, like so it's you, because national character is so arbitrary and subjective that trying to use it as an explanatory method for history just collapses every time because the na- national character culture are very, these cultures are always contradictory and and they don't form this kind of totality that's right. completely unified and I mean honestly the the, the ge- geographic stuff he does with the Vikings makes more sense to me than some of the I mean I don't believe it but it at least has some material impulse right like there's a reason an, a material economic reason where that would make some sense. I mean, some of Engel's more problematic writings about world historic peoples is actually based on similar notions. Yeah, Engel's um, yeah, Engels says the same thing about <laughs> yeah, he says the same kind of idea about the Slavs that they have this inherently authoritarian spirit. And like Margaret Mead, for example, like she was you know she's a famous anthropologist loved and loved to this day by anthropologists and her theory as that you know the soviet union wasn't democratic and you know it, it, it was authoritarian and because of the russian national character and this national character came from is because the russians beat their kids too much and this made them authoritarian like grow up and become authoritarians that, why is that the causal and, element that's such that's such a bullshit like that's it's not because like that's a symptomatic of like something. The, the Eurasianists have a the Eurasianists actually have a causal element that's interesting. They say it's because Russia's <clears> mostly <throat> landlocked and gigantic in its logistics, so the only okay. way to hold it together is a that, strong central state. That's so, that's an explanation that seems like you know more. But tangible. most of the anthropologists. Well, that's the explanation that Ellen Marx has for the Asiatic mode of production. Yeah, I mean, like. So I, this is why I say like we have to be a little bit careful with this because because Marx and Engels actually do say similar things they just try to justify it a little better and they're both pulling out of like Hegel Hegel had some weird ideas about national character like he thought that he thought that people in the Americas were just going to shrink <laughs> like because of the change in geography like um yes Yes, he thought that the the, Ameri- the people in the Americas, the Europeans in the Americas, would physically shrink because of some <laughs> because of some weird like like it's in an off notebook. It's in like his personal journals. But like, like, you're you're digging up his dumbest some- shit, like his dumbest like shower thoughts. Like, yeah, you know. I shrunk the Americans <laughs> yeah, because like the, the, we we wouldn't need the height because the climate was too good or something. <laughs> I'm kind of being serious. So um, well, no, I know. Like I've heard some like like the Montesquieu stuff that I thought was like all right, being hot and being cold that could affect it. All the way down to like Jared Diamond, who's like, yep, you know, it's because you could spread uh, agricultural techniques uh, around Europe, and that's what made them different. Well, I was so, saying Jared so, like, Diamond seems like actually some of the same things. Like modern anthropology right, does some of this stuff. Right. Like that's that's the thing that's kind of. I don't know, frightening about like Spangler's theory. And so what we have to do is like look at the stuff, you know, why is it, why does it resonate and like detach it from this insane mysticism? Like, because we need to draw this away. We need to draw this back into the realm of tractable uh, scientific socialism. God damn it. But what if there's like nothing to it and we don't need yeah, to like just that? accidentally right? What if it's just nonsense? <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I, what, I kinda, what, what is he accidentally right about? Like, I don't know. I'm not seeing like the the hidden insight here. I'm saying this is more like a specimen of what nationalist thinking is. 
Like, I think his theory of history is wrong. His theory of socialism is wrong. Bro. Like, I don't Donald, think... He, I don't think that he's even, Donald, like, right about anything. Donald, Spanish and Italian are both Romance languages. And they're both <laughs> orange. I, I'm seeing the connections. I'm seeing the connections here. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, like, Spanish like, you people know, are basically Italian. There's no difference. <laughs> True fact. Yeah, yeah, it sounds the same. Like the language, it's it's yeah, it listen sounds, to it. It sounds the same. They look the same. Yeah. I don't see. I can't the tell difference. the difference. I don't see the difference. <laughs> um, it's hot. It's hot there. Well, that's the thing is that so much of his ideas are just based off these vague ideas of what the national character of a person is, and so he makes these ideas about Russia and how the Russian peasants like mystified by capitalism mm-hmm. and just wants to destroy it. And burn it all down. We really like it's a lot like there was like a fascination with science and capitalism that was more, and 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 you know it's just there's yeah, I mean, there's a he, lot that he, doesn't make sense. He he's yeah he, he's he sometimes he basically accidentally hits on things. I think right. I think he's dealing with something that is hard. Maybe the social sciences weren't necessarily prepared to go into yet. Right, and um, Mar- Marxists but- certainly weren't. Marxists didn't understand anything about this, which is why uh, 1914 happened. I mean, yeah, Marxism didn't really have a... Uh, there was a lot of people talking about nationality and there nationalism. Were, right, but they got obscured by the loyalism of you know the main parties, basically. Well, no, they were often the people who were, like, loyalists, like, the people who studied nationalism. Yeah, I was about to say, we forget how, like, the jingoist socialists were huge. Right, of course. um, In in the 1900s. And and there's another element of this that I find kind of, like, maddening. And to me, where you see how how, um, this breaks down is not when he's talking about Prussian stuff, because... It's when he's talking about France, like yeah, that shit made no sense. Like <laughs> France is is a nation of bourgeois, like because like England is a nation of merchants, France is a nation of the bourgeois, and Germany's England like it's a, it's proletarian a nation. nation. Yeah, it sounds like Mussolini. Like yeah, we're the proletarian like nation. The proletarian nation. Yeah, Russian are peasants. I will. I will tell you. Whenever I hear proletarian nation, I actually think of Spengler and Mussolini automatically. Even when I and hear Mao. it from. Um, shh. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, there, there is a reason why I, I have known Spengalians to also flirt with Maoist with Maoism. Um, I can think of. A, I can think of a person off the top of my head. Um, so. But when you read like what he's writing about France, he's like, "That's the French character," and you're just like, "How?" Like, like I think Rosa but, has a better theory of the French national character. <laughs> She's built up like a real theory over the years that seems but, pretty like explanatory to me. But I do remember stage theories of revolution that sound similar to this, though. Like the French Revolution is a bourgeois revolution, and the English Revolution is a merchant's revolution, and. Like you could pull second international stuff and actually find similar statements in it. Yeah. Well, here's the the linchpin of the whole essay is, is this like weird word that keeps appearing. That's a familiar word, but he doesn't mean it how we mean it. It's the word socialism. The way that he uses the word socialism to mean statist autarky, (laughs) like bureaucratic total management. He doesn't even mean like a systems per se, of, like, governance or, like, even political economy or 
whatever. He just means it as like a collective spirit of the people that arises during right. a period well, he, of war. He basically no, he he means it to mean like yeah, like in England where you're, where people are English, it's all transactional and it's all people are basically just working to get theirs, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's special for Prussia. It's special for Prussia because they're the only real socialists because they have a collectivist spirit. However, this doesn't translate into like you know difference like the uh, differences in like the economy per se. It's just like you see German capitalists. They 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 respect the nation. They respect the nation. So during war, they work towards they work towards the nation. They're not greedy and selfish like those English capitalists. They they're they're proud German patriots and they care. They care about the great nation. They're not part of the comprador class. Well, he sees um, socialism basically as like a form of corporatism. Exactly. Where all the classes are working together and collaborating in a national community. And this national community is organized according to this meritocratic system where everybody has like their known, like has a place in the division of labor. And so it's a kind of a, he kind of wants to restore like this, um, pre-capitalist notion of rank and but while at the same time like having it be meritocratic like the prussian system yeah it's 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 catholic distributism without the catholic part well it reads it's very militaristic too yeah that's i think that's also different but he really loved i mean he loves italian stuff for the same reasons but that was explicitly catholic and he sees that as part of their character while it's not part of the prussian character yeah. for some reason well he sees um it's it's like um he, having he, at one point he defines socialism as the political ruling over the economic rather than the economic ruling over the political, and he and he sees the political as like the concrete concrete people, and the economic as this abstract um, thing that you know is that corrupts like people. It's just it's piracy. Okay, there, but there's but, no but read good. read between the lines though. Concrete. What he's talking about is basically the state and the market. Well, actually, right. let me. I'll, I'll read a key. I'll read a key quote on page forty on my version of this. The and this is his also his historical explanation for it. The Teutonic Knights that settled and colonized the eastern borderlands of Germany in the Middle Ages had a general feeling for authority of the state in economic matters, and later Prussians have inherited that feeling. The individual is informed of his economic obligations by destiny, by God, by the state, or by his own talents. These are simply different words for the same fact. Yeah. But you see, but you see, he argues against nationalization of property multiple times throughout the tax. He argues right. against. He, he, he says it's unnecessary, so you don't need to do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, the he, yeah, it's and in fact, it would be anti-socialist to do it <laughs> if you were to nationalize property because you're getting in the way of good German patriots working towards the so great wait, German. So wait, wait, Spangler and Ultras agree? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Mussolini well, was an and... Ultra at one point. I guess there are some. What, what what kind of like social democrat would agree to something like that? Are there any? Adam Proctor. I mean, um. Right, right. Like he would be for public-private <laughs> partnerships, you know, for socialism. Yeah, I mean, you um, know. Dingus, Dongus, I guess. I don't D know. D Dong. I mean, like honestly, if you're if you're if you're if you're a Dongus, um, you would actually agree with a lot of this. And that's why, even down to like necessary cultural collaborationist stuff, that that's although yeah, like, just, like the state that. of the whole people. There was one part in this that actually did remind me of Stalin, which was when he talked about a state of the whole people and how like Marxists want a state of the workers and 
um, the English want a state of like the merchants and the the French want a, a state mm. of the third estate. Yeah. But you know, we want a state of the whole people working as one. Yeah, I was actually gonna is, think Carrie Bolton, who's a who's a, a Nosbol, a Sta- you know, a Stalinist Nosbol. Um, a right winger who loves Stalin, um, has retranslated this work to make it even more Nosbol-y, um, in the last, I think, year or two. So, like, they got it. They're, they're aware of the similarities. <laughs> in fact, they probably make more there than there actually are. So. Oh, yeah. Like, um, I know someone was telling me they knew, like, some crazy Nazbol who was saying that the, that East Germany, the DDR, was like a true expression of Spengler's uh, Prussian socialism, which I think is just like absurd because the DDR had like gay discos and stuff. But no, I've heard that before too. But also, the DDR did have some re- yeah. like so, some uh, some quote reform Strasserites in its government. It's not all that crazy so. to me, honestly. <laughs> like other 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 than his, the, like his opinion about like I guess property. 50s DDR is basically, yeah, it, it leans more towards Nazbol because it has, like, more socially conservative policies in terms of the family. But, like, 60s, like, like when they decriminalize homosexuality, and, like, in the 70s, it starts to go more and more, like, fairly liberal. And they're, like, the most socially progressive in the Eastern Bloc. And, like, even more progressive in comparison to, like, Western Germany because they had less of an influence... On uh, the Protestant yeah, church. Yeah, exactly. That's why, exactly, and that's why I laugh when someone tries to say that, like, East Germany was, like, Spengler's Prussian socialism. It's like, come on, like, try yeah. harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah, not, not just see, like, uh, cool East German military uniforms and police Stasi uniforms and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, this must be real, this must, they must be trad, like me. That's authoritarian. That's cool. Yeah, like, uh, they also I feel just like a lot of Nazis... in 1956. Like they just don't think anything yeah. happened after well, that. Well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> under high Stalinism, like high Stalinism after the war was when you had like the most organic Nazbol culture in Russia. But after, like you know, basically after Stalin's death, like it was you had social liberalization and moving more and more away from that Nazbol type shit and all like. A lot of the social conservatives in the bureaucracy, like, they did exist, but they kind of had to keep quiet and, like, keep their circles kind of secretive. But they did exist. Like, there were, like, you know, within the bureaucracy, like, pretty reactionary people who had fascistic even beliefs. But they, you know, they had to keep secret. Like, they had, like, secret occult societies even. That's kind of what Dugan came out of. But it's interesting, too. Um, One of the other things that he says that would feel very... Like something we would say off guard, not is what he compares the Spartacism of the Salons belongs to the same category as Theosophy and occultism. It is for the same thing as the cult of ISIS was, not for the Oriental slaves in Rome, but for the decadent Romans themselves. And like, yeah, that when we talk about like limousine ultraism, that that he's he's hitting on, <laughs> like go, go, gossip girl, uh, gossip girl post anarchism. <laughs> he does a he, he does a pretty good job. In the first passage, like kind of picking at my insecurities about Marxism. <laughs> yeah, but, me too. And then you get to then, the rest of it, then you're like, "Oh, I feel better now." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a few se- a few seconds later, he just he starts like he, there's this passage where like he sounds like Thanos, and you're just like, <laughs> "Okay, dude." Well, Great. yeah, he's obviously an admirer of Malthus, and he thinks Malthus is more scientific than Darwin. 
because Darwin wrongly thought that evolution applies to humans. Oh yeah, the start, he's like, all the stuff you Marxists believe in is just this idealistic poetry, it's nothing to do with the real world, it's just things that sound nice, and it's just, like, stories you tell yourself, and, and then he he tells a more insane story, and it's just like, you know what? <laughs> there were these Viking pirates that came out of England and just mi- mystified the world and entranced them with greed and and finance and numbers yeah. and rationality. Yeah. Yeah. We Prussians, we Prussians, you Marxists, you Marxists believe in fairy tale shit like Darwinian yeah. evolution and um... yeah, we we Prussians, we're too manly for that shit. We don't get that number shit. We stand up and do what's right. Oh, you think that's socialism, Marxist? Actually, Marxist. You're a bunch of English capitalist pirates who want to out-pirate the pirates. Yeah, you know, like, that's also a common reactionary complaint, though. If you've read a lot of reactionary literature, yeah. you see that over and over again. Like, Don Concho says the same thing. What, like, the uh, out-pirating the pirates? That, that Marxism is... What Mar- <laughs> they called it the bourgeois... I think Don Concho calls it the bourgeoisification for everyone. Like... Yeah, uh, I... Uh, Spangler explicitly calls it capitalism for the working class. Yeah, I know. Well, he also I, he also says that like M- Marx basically like teach it like teaches the workers to want to be lazy or whatever. Yeah, that's and what it's I like, thought was funny. Uh, there was well, a part it, where like, he's like Marxism is an attack on that work ethic and it's an attack on the very idea of laboring for another person. And yeah, this, I wish. You know, it's the, well, no, it's it yeah it's like Marx isn't opposed to work. He just doesn't like exploitation. Like that's a right. pretty. It should be pretty <clears throat> obvious to anyone who's read anything beyond the manifesto, which I sincerely sincerely right. question if this dude has. He, he uh, wants like, labor to be life's prime want. Well, I was about to say, other than other than the manifesto, I mean, nothing's quoted. But it, you, I do feel like everything he says is basically like. I've not really met wed Marx. I've just talked to a whole bunch of Marxists who probably no, totally. kind of yeah. understood. No, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like he, he, totally was around, he was around when the Spartacus League was popping off and all that stuff was going on. He was around when the SPDA was big. So he probably knew a lot of Marxists, saw a lot of their propaganda, heard some of their speeches in the streets, and read some of their articles in newspapers, but... Like, he didn't actually understand Marxism. There's no way. No, not at all. Said, like, not at all. Making Marx, because, like, Marx and Capital, if he actually had read Capital, he would know that Marx is not a fucking utilitarian, like, for Christ's oh, sake. Oh, yeah. And, he, and, like, Marx is not just in love with the categories of Capital. He's, like, he's not a simple egoist. I think the, one of the funny things that he doesn't understand, because of his national characters thing, he thinks of egoism as being this English thing. Well, the, well, the egoist that most, like, stamps, like, the, the, the person that's most stamps this, like, English mentality, so so to speak, on Marx is, is the Englishman Max Stirner. You know what I mean? Like, there's a, there's a very Prussian source of this that Marx is responding to. Like, and Marx is pr- very Prussian altogether. <laughs> It's interesting to me because, for example, the, the, the parts that he got that kind of stick, which is like the proletariat is purely a literary concept. It's not defined as a side note. Like, that's true. Um, but that that's also like you can only, you could have got that just from like going to like to, to very vulgar rallies, because whenever you would try to push them on the program, um, particularly in this time period, because they've been such such uh, acrimony over the over over the minimum program in specific that people would often get very very vague and very very like 
there is no, you know, Marxism's just negation. And, and look, I mean, I was, I have been taught that when I was a young, burning 28 year old coming to Marxism too, that there was no positive program anywhere. Like, so he, it, it's wrong. Um, but, but it's like something that if you're in Marxist circles, you would have heard. Um, um, so, and that's why that first chapter stings and then you keep reading and then you're like, oh, never mind. He's like completely, totally yeah. wrong. Yeah. That's what like grad school Marxism and like Maoism have in common is the, is, is the negation. He's kind of even worse in tech. He's kind of worse in, uh, Technics and Man, I believe name yeah. of the text it's... is called Technics and Man. Like, he's basically like, yeah, Marx is just a technological utopian, and he believe he's just like, he believes that technology is just going to save all of mankind, and he believes in linear, just straightforward linear progress. But, I mean, which so, is... like, again, not true, but Second Internationalists did kind of say that shit, so, like... Um, yeah, and, it... like, people like Plakhanov had, like, a kind of similar point of view i mean bernstein said similar things i mean i feel like i'm i'm i when i was reading this i'm like oh this is like an argument with one dumbass who's who believes every other dumbass thing that's been said right. about marxism because they haven't read a primary source um but, well, the thing is there was like a lot of different meanings to people at this time of what marxism was like i was saying like you had people who thought marxism was the s payday yeah, people who thought the Marxism was the U.S. payday. You had people who thought Marxism was the Spartacus League. You had people who thought the Marxism that Marxism was just something completely different in my own sect that you know I decided to form. Like, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have Sorel who believes that Marxism is anything that I say. You know, it's just normal people. Um, yeah, we can't we can't relate to that kind of fragmentation these days. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. yeah. God, I mean, the, no, the it, glory was, days. it was amazing. Things are so back then. then What's amazing is back then it was even less fragmented. Yeah, yeah. But it was less fragmented, but there was more at stake because these fragments actually represented parts of the proletariat. And I think that's the thing. The reason that um, he can call the proletariat a literary concept really easily is because all these different parties claim to represent the proletariat. You know, we're the Communist Party. We're the vanguard of the proletariat. We're the Social Democrats. We're the party of the proletariat. But, and so for him, the proletariat just sounds like a kind of pro like a propaganda term that you use to like justify rallying to mob the mob to get whatever you want, basically. That's how he would basically. It's like Sorrell's like um, link of Marxism to demagoguery. Yeah, he would say that like the, he would probably say something like, oh, the proletariat is just a Sorellian myth that uh, the Marxists used to like, you know. Get underachievers to rebel against the elite. I mean, r rational kernel of truth to that. I mean, yeah, he also Lido? says that it's a purely negative construction, and again, like kind There's of the actually Lido. true. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, what is the proletariat? The proletariat is is are they who who can who have nothing to lose but their chains? So, but I mean, that's not unique to Marx either. I mean, that's actually kind of what the word has always meant. Um, going back Literally to ancient property less Roman, yeah. Well, what's different about Marx is that he actually, like, the proletariat is defined not just negatively, there's also a positive element to the proletariat, which is that it's a class that contains within itself, like, the struggle for a new world. And that the proletariat, you know, as, a, as it forms as a class, is a, is a force of historical progress. There, there's also sort of, like, a sociological, uh, political economy sort of understanding of the proletariat as 
sort of the working class and that there's like a political understanding which kind of clash with each other but are sometimes next to each other it's just but I, I do find it interesting when you talk about why, why CLR James would like this. I keep on bringing that back up. But it, it's interesting to me also in the fact that if you were to talk about – if you were to do that strategic, you know, essentialization thing, um, I'll read another thing that people could easily abuse from this. The urge to individuality and independence, however, later drove many of those with Viking blood in their veins, the Englishmen, the Germans, and the Scandinavians. Oh, now the Germans are Vikings, by the way, but not before, not with their Prussians, to seek their Teutonic fortune on the American prairie. Their adventure was, in fact, a late resumption of the expeditions of Greenland at the time of the Eddas, when the Vikings touched the Canadian coast. Tremendous migration of the Teutons filled with the longing for distance and limitless expanse, team with the adventurers who laid the groundwork for yet another people with Saxon characteristics. Yet this new was to arise apart from the material soil of Faustian culture, and thus lacked the inner basalt of which Gother spoke in his poem, America, and thus... Retain certain races of noble blood and contempt and concomitant virtues of vigor and industrious, but without the roots and therefore without a future. Like that, if you were if you were doing the strategic decentralization stuff with this, you couldn't really glom onto this because it also seems like oh, he's describing settlers, and it's you know they're they're Viking blood, um, and. And stuff like I mean, there's there's all kinds of fun little useless and utterly wrong myths that you could project upon things that are real, right? <laughs> he makes like these weird these weird leaps where it's like, yeah, th- like these northern people went there a long time ago, and then these other northern people went there later. They're just continuing the Viking excursions. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? and that applies to the Spanish somehow. Like, the Spanish weren't also part of the of center yeah. colonialism. But I, I want to I make this guy write, like, an elementary school, like, yeah. history textbook. Yeah, you right. see what kind of crazy shit he comes up with. I mean, I, I think there's some level of truth to the whole, like, English mentality sort of thing. I, I think there's right. some level it's, of it, truth it, to it. it. It's not completely Anglo mindset. Well, it's it's Marxism's like engagement with egoism and and the engagement with political economy. But I don't think it divines it. Like, it doesn't... I mean, he, I think I think he finds like you, you what you see here is kind of like an interesting, almost maybe more of a. I wonder if it's more of like kind of some of this kind of helped me to understand like the right wing a little bit more these days because mm-hmm. you see you see this tension between people who sort of. Yeah, like em- embrace like, you know, Anglo rationalism and those who, you know, look to more like kind of like continental, right, like irrationalist right. impulses in terms of like yeah. their world outlooks, yeah. you know. It can also explain like the divide between analytical philosophy mm-hmm. and continental philosophy. Or like you Hegelian see, versus structuralist Marxism. Yeah, you right. see, I mean, I, I don't know if it explains it, but he's tracing out kind of the same like, thing. Yeah, right? it's it's based it's sort of a real divide between like sort of philosophical worldview that develops in in, in like England and the Anglo world, which is basically like hard sort of empir- empiricism, <clears throat> just sort of hard nosed sort of like capitalist reasoning. People and, always, yeah, like uh, people it, always accuse McNair. Mm-hmm of that well this this uh this set of tools empirically yeah. confers a rational yeah. advantage so and i mean you can't you can't even argue against it Spengler is just kind of like really mad at marx because he he like breaks that mold really hard because he's like he's hegelian but at the same time he's also like 
like reading into political economy, which is more or less more purely Anglo mindset. So yeah, I mean, he understands Smith, and he takes Smith's categories. I mean, like, yeah. Here's my question, though. Like, how does how does like because there's there's this weird thing that seemed to happen like on the internet, right, where it drifted from like, you know, like athe like Chris Hitchens style like atheism into like this weird like jordan peterson and even further right-wing like mysticism like where how, how did it go from one to the other you know well, what I mean? like, anti-feminism did, anti-feminism actually, and yeah. the science wars actually that's say, that was like, the turning point anti like weirdly gamergate with the funny thing about all this to me is like i've been studying this stuff for various reasons since i was 18 19 years old i'm almost 40 right it had never really been relevant Except for a very small subculture of like artsy people that you would occasionally mm-hmm. come into and weird occultists right. that you would meet in LA. I'm being serious. And, <laughs> no, and, yeah, and then all 100%. of a sudden, this shit was everywhere. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not as old as you, Derek, but like, I remember like when I was like, you know, a 16 year old throbbing gristle fan who like, you know, like read stuff from Feral House, like. Yeah, no one, like, knew about any of this weird shit, but now, like, you see, like, irony bros making videos about Spangler on YouTube. Yeah, it's, it's, it's real strange, like, but what I think, I think it does have to do, in a way, um, and I don't have a good materialist notion for this yet, I've been thinking through it for a while, but the failure of the neoconservative civilizational line, because the neoconservative civilizational line was supposed, was, like, supposed to be quasi-materialistic, sort of. Like, um, if you read, like, Fukuyama, for example, like, they are trying to do, like, material explanations and explanations in the historical structures, and, like... But that kind of got politically discredited with the Bush administration. So, what do you yeah. got left? Well, you got the weirder end of it that's been, like, linking on the internet and marginal communities. It, what I don't understand, I mean, because, for example, like, De Benoist, who's been hanging out, like, in pagan communities, passing around this stuff since the late 90s, and even, like, got into Telio Ma- Telio's magazine and had the Frankfurt School Journal published new European New uh, Right stuff. But, um... Not even the dead are safe. Yeah, uh, in the 90s. This was, this was a weird period in the in the 90s. But, like... Um, you had that, it all seemed to have been like waiting in the rings for something to push it out there. And it does seem like a mixture of, okay, we don't have neoconservatism anymore. Also, libertarianism is very unsatisfying because it's Anglo mind on crack. Um, so what do we got? It's open mic night, basically. Yeah. Yeah, well, there is kind of a popularity around Nick Land, though, still, it, because it's like, what, what if, what if libertarianism, but it had cyberpunk in it, and 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 it sounds like vaguely mystical because it has like cyberpunk dumb sci-fi elements into it. It also does the converging and into fashy he shit. He also he also screams about the Muslims online like we do now. It also converges well, we'll get into fashy shit. Like, Dugan's whole worldview is the Atlanteans, or the Anglo-Empiricists, versus the Eurasians, the continent, the the blood-and-soil-rooted Volk. Right. Which, somehow that makes sense for everybody, but, but the... Like, it's... When you try to look at their national... Po- like, 
their postmodern pluralist fascism, um, which I mean, they're not the first people to attempt. When when I we mentioned this off air, but like Francis Parker Yaki also tried this with the fascist internationalism based around like explicitly based around um, racialist interpretations of Stalin in the fifties and sixties. Like, yeah, he like believed that basically. Uh, Francis Parker Yaki, he was like basically the first national Bolshevik in a way. Not the first, but one of the first post-war national Bolsheviks. And he had this idea of um, basically like a united Europe, united around, like, you know. And he sided with the uh, USSR against the USA in the Cold War. Because he saw the USSR as, like, more nationalist and, like, anti-degeneracy. And he thought that Stalin, he thought that Stalin basically purged the Soviet Union of its Jewish cosmopolitan influence and had to become, like, a proper, like, Volkish, like, you know, like, uh... I mean, in some ways, in some ways, I'm going to make a very controversial claim that I see Foucauldianism actually leading this way, um, because they're you know, internal epochs and, and, and cause mm. Foucault also has incommensurability between time periods and peoples. Yeah. That's actually, that, that's actually what reminded me of Foucault. Like it there. Yeah. He basically says like, you can't, you have to read things within the context of its era. And they had different like conceptions of time. And I feel like there was this term he had like to that. There's this particular, like it's not a master signifier, but it's something else that like allows you to as like the key to understanding their conception of like the space they inhabited or some shit like that. I mean, that. Foucault, and Foucault is like justification of like the Iranian Revolution and the support of the Ayatollah Khomeini is actually rooted in some similar thoughts. So I mean, there's this through line even in left wing thinking that has been feeding this. I I I I began worried when like it wasn't just Nazis talking about Carl Smith anymore, which has always never been just Nazis, but it was mostly Nazis, and then like. Like, hey, 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 come on. I like, I like, I like to study Carl Schmidt. It's everybody very interesting knows, everybody yeah, likes um, to study Carl Schmidt. But the thing is, like, it was a little yeah. worrying when everybody found him again. Like, yeah. I mean, to be fair, he was one of the few, like, people, Nazi uh, people that were associated with the Nazi regime that was, like, still taught right after the war, still taught and basically, like, sort of, like, Oh yeah, no, Leo, Leo Strauss was still having debates with him in back channel form in the fifties. I mean, like um, the the. Uh, but my point on that is that like it was hush hush thing. Everybody knew Carl, like Carl Smith, but you wouldn't actually like explicitly cite Carl Smith. And like I don't hate Smith either, but like it was worrying to me when I started seeing. Like I'm waiting for like you know like some for there to be the Agamben like po- decolonial Spengler. Because it really wouldn't be that hard. No, I mean, <laughs> there already is. Like, a uh, Polish, like, a. Uh, no, seriously, I look at, like, um, Polish decolonization theory. I'm not even, like, joking. Like, there is, like, this weird, like, neo-fascist, like, trend in, like, Polish decolonization theory. I mean, like, yeah. I, 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 there's also this, like, weird bald guy on YouTube who's been, like, making philosophy videos for a long time. Oh, this should be good. Uh, I'm I'm forgetting his name. Not obviously not Stefan Molyneux. Oh, I, I was about to would, say like Stefan Molyneux has been leading a cult since I was like 24. So. Yeah, I, I um I'm forgetting his name, but he actually appeared on a podcast that you were also on, Derek. Uh, uh, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Called um, out. <laughs> no, uh, is Parallax News? 
Um, Parallax views, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's because JG, 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 like, will talk to anybody. Um, yeah, JG <laughs> Michael talked to this, like, ball guy who uh, was, like, really, really good in terms of, like, summarizing philosophical stuff just on YouTube. Like, right. he, he got me through, he got me through, like, uh, 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 Decline of the West by Spangler because initially I tried reading it and it was like, oh my God, this is, this, this is ass but like the way he summarized it was oddly interesting because he tried to connect it to like postmodernism and decolonial thought well i mean i i think that i think there is a through there is a through line that i think the reason why this stuff is coming back up is because there is a relationship there and i would even say the relationships like kind of from the beginning i used to talk about uh, um eurocentric anti-europeanism <laughs> um so like you know uh um my favorite one was like a lot of the africana you know afrocentric theories where all their sources were weird european conspiracies that they just flipped um if you actually like uh, uh not out of africa which is kind of a neoconservative she book but it has good documentation that they took all these like like theosophist um racialist myths and then just flipped them on their head and i could totally see that with spengler um because you know the incommensibility and all that i think that's the reason why it came back up also this tactically um, i'm not saying that like a lot of people in um, postmodern philosophy are doing this but like dugan is dugan like dugan cites his and and heidegger like heidegger's a direct through line like if you read some um some of Heidegger's forties and fifties work on, on, on technology and the technic man and technics is like got to be an influence because the, uh, Heidegger says some of the same things. Look, and look, that, damn. Uh -huh. No, I don't know. What are we doing? We need to get on this like woke Spangler money train. Let's go. Let's cash in. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've just yeah, started this podcast so that I could find an intellectual niche that I could milk. And yeah, 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 no, yeah. No, 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 Spangler's already been milked, though. Like, yeah. like, we need to civilizations has already been milked. Like, Adorno talked about Spangler all the time. Like, I don't know. Adorno isn't like a, a of, New York Times tastemaker. stuff out there. Like, there's a lot of academics who've talked about this academics actually, i'm not adorno. talking about that i'm talking but, about money donald cash don't make okay. good money. Uh, but, i'm saying you think, you think samuel huntington money. doesn't make money like look i'm t we'll find we'll find our things someday gotta stack it, harder well exactly. huntington did yeah, i guess well the thing is what i you mean need if to you become be like an establishment like neocon think tank dude like you know, you make good money. You just got to like, betray even your academic class interests. Like, like, yeah, like, like well, that's what I'm saying. Like, Huntington isn't just like another academic. He's like a s academic star. But but it's interesting because I bring this up with the Adorno essay is fascinating. For example, because Spengler, I think Spengler um, mentioned in Adorno as how the Benoist actually got in Telios. I'm not that, and like also Paul Godfrey somehow worked for them because he was taught by Marcuse. But like yes, yeah, so uh, just uh, to clarify for audience, Telios is a journal that um started out as like a Frankfurt School critical theory Marxist journal, and then got really into Carl Schmitt, and now publishes like right wing authors. Basically, yeah, so now it's actually kind of a neocon journal. Weirdly though, like it's like it, yeah, but it's, like 90s, it's like platypus before platypus. It's like 
Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say it's like platypus type shit, but but it, before... when it originally started is like uh yeah, it was a French school journal, but in the nineties it got real weird and started publishing like European New Right and Greca, which is uh De Benoist and uh uh Goulemont, uh De Fe and all that stuff. And like, you know, if you guys don't know who I'm talking Guillaume about, Fay. yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I wanna read Guillaume Fay for this show. <laughs> um I think that that would be an interesting read. Yeah, yes, uh, yes. I remember. Isn't this. Guillaume the one who's explicitly a Zionist because because the because Islam is a new horde and <laughs> yeah, and he's also the he's also the one who's not anti-American. Yeah, like he's, um, yeah. Richard Spencer actually is like, yeah, I'd say Guillaume Fay of all the new new European writers is you know my biggest influence. Right, because he's not because uh, De Benoist is on the Duganist anti-American train. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird how there there's like a divide in the new like right between like Fayists and Duganist, basically. Oh, you mean that Ben Garrison cartoon where they're all like hugging isn't like real? Well, they still they're still you un- no that's not real that's but but they have oh. a united front against globalism anyway because in the end like Dugan. What Dugan wants is for American power to be limited to the shores of America, essentially. That's how – I mean he probably also wants to nuke us and, you know, just uh, you know, and he's destroy really, America completely. He's willing to risk Russia being nuked to nuke us. He's actually made that argument before on Russian, on Russian radio. But And I think that's actually partly why he got um, – he, he – I'm not – I'm not completely sure why he got completely booted out of United Russia more or less, but like, um, it was funny to me when all the liberals found him. Cause I was like, you know, he's not in power anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. He's, he's, he, he basically went too crazy for Dugan. Like, I mean, for, Pu- I mean, for Putin. Putin yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also he wrote a book criticizing Putin. Um, yeah. It's uh, he has like his theory that there's like two Putins now. It's like, there's a Putin who's like a true traditionalist Russian, and then there's a Putin who's like a global neoliberal sellout. And Putin's like divided between these wow. two Putins. A tale of two Putins. <laughs> and it's, it's it's literally yeah, it's like a tale of two yeah, Putins, the, but it's the, literally the like Dugan like coming like, to terms. Putin versus Putin, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what. Yeah, it's Putin versus Putin. It's, it's Dugan coming to terms with the fact that Putin eventually turned him yeah. down. D- Donald like, and I read all this shit so you don't have to. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, p- part of that had to do with Medvedev being an Atlanticist, according to United Russian standards. But anyway, um... Boon, welcome to the resistance. <laughs> really off of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> really, really missed the timing for that joke. But, I mean, the funny thing about this is there's a whole lot. As you bring it back to the text, there's a whole lot in this text, and yet there's also not a lot in this text. Like once we go through the various stereotypes, and you talk about like the the few things that he hit on that was sort of kind of right, and then they're not really because the logic for them doesn't make any sense. Um, but sounds good when you quote it at people. Um, <laughs> well, what, I mean, what what about the thing on um on how you know focusing on like wage struggle you know like reinforces the value form or something so it's like <laughs> it's just a commodity man you know like uh, that's just like that's like a value form thing no, no i know value I was, form theorists I was, say that. i'm just i'm just playing association games this is just a family resemblance you know you look familiar 
Yeah, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Like, a lot of this stuff is just association games. Like, oh, well, this person also said something that sounds like this, so... Well, well, or, yeah, but I mean, got, look or, at it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look hatred, at one, you look at the other. Is hatred a democracy? Is, is, is critiques of democracy sound very similar to, like, you know, far-left and far-right critiques where it's like, well, the money really controls the politicians, man. Like, I mean, yeah. in, in one sense, like, yeah, that's true. In another sense, like, so what? Like, it's like in another sense, it's so much more complex because of like the state as a bureaucracy and the state as an institution has to like meet the needs of capital accumulation in the more abstract sense. And capital and so, capital sectors are actually opposed to each other in a very real way. <laughs> like, yeah, there's very yeah exactly right. like the state doesn't represent all capitals equally. And the state also has a certain level of autonomy, so it's just more complex and nuanced than that. Like, and and they're, they're an, I, it's, it's it's also it's like an anti-modernism, not just an anti-democracy. Like, right? They're hostile to the varied existence yeah, of I mass mean, yeah. politics. I mean, again, I'll, I'll quote from this: "The materialist view of history was postulates economic conditions as causes in the physical sense. Religion, laws, art, and science as effect. Doubtless has a persuasive aspects in the late life of Western culture for us to build the mentality of irreligious and traditionalist urban people, not because the economic." conditions are in fact a cause but because art and religion have become empty secular lifeless and, i mean empty lifeless and external and now have become linger on as a pale shadow of their strongly developing form that identifies our age precisely the state of affairs is systematically english <laughs> the notion of well, religion the thing is, and comfort well the, yeah well the other thing is then he like proposes like monarchist like socialism and he's like well you see if you have a heredit if you if you have a hereditary monarchy that hereditary monarch just has the power so he can stand above all the petty interests of the different in- interest groups and and not have and can mediate those things as the sovereign and it's like is that how it really works out though <laughs> you know yeah the, the interesting thing about like um spangler is that he imposes the sort of selfishness selfish merchant mindset as solely an English thing, but at the same time with the age of Imperium that slowly defines all civilization <coughs> decline is like increasing expansion, sort of heavy materialism, greed. That I mean, basically, thing. like, it's the English fault, right? Like, it's totally the English, so fuck them. I mean, like... Well, the Prussians do it in a dignified way because they love they love what they do. They well, love they the work about, of accumulation. You know, they have a duty to accumulate this, for the nation. And this is sort of like Spangler riffing off of like birth of tragedy really hard. Like, so like on, on some level, I get why some of this stuff like comes back because they have like a critique of democracy, and you are kind of seeing like how there's a great deal of you know growing rightful growing cynicism about like the failure of you know to have like an actual like democratic society. But the other hand, like what they point back to is to to what they invoke to impose it is something that's completely been dead and decimated. So it's like what like. How are we going to, like, reawaken, like, the Prussian spirit well, in the United uh, States? M- Mutual Flint Clara actually p- pointed out, though, that this is not that different from, like, Tolkienism, for example. Like, um, Tolkien... No, it sounds... His history stuff sounds like the opening to the first Lord <laughs> of the Rings movie. <laughs> like, 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 you get this feeling that, like, Tolkien read this stuff. And also, Tolkien was, was one of those weird, like, national characters. But you could totally be of a different race and become of our national character, sure. Yeah, but you're still uh, an orc. You were born an orc. <laughs> right, but you could be a good orc. That's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's... It, it's yeah. I know an orc. Say, that, 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 those orc. That orc speaks so well. You know, he educated himself and... <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you listen, like what's interesting about this is for example, you get hints of, of like critiques. I hear this critique all the time of Marxism that, you know, that it treats economic conditions as the base solely, which a is not actually true. It's a met, but, uh, and be like, all oh, those subcultural stuff don't have any effect. They're just the result of it's a, you know, the base superstructure of vulgarities. Um, and then what then he makes the leap though to say that that's like basically like okay not a there's no religion anymore oh poor we lack of god as you can see how this could really like think of normal conservative arguments and how this would be like a very refined um in a very weird way i mean i'm saying it's refined but f- compared to like you know they just don't do prayer in school anymore if you read this mm. and you have some knowledge of secularization theory and you have some knowledge of like, oh well, the English brought in the modern world, and they're and they're all Anglo-minded, and that's bad. Like, this is not a hard leap. I mean, even though there's all these these all these um, where 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 Spinkler's also saying this is really this is really this. Like when I said he was saying destiny is really God is really your own independent character, and you're like, wait, how? how? But he, like they do that all the time. This collapsing of distinction and then bringing distinctions back out whenever it whenever it seems to fit. Um, so its vagueness does sound. So, mm-hmm. what if um, Englishness is caused by I don't know capitalism. The domination? <laughs> yeah, by capitalism exactly, and the spread of capitalism worldwide is really is like what Spangler is this Englishness that he's talking about. That, that's that sounds like something a dirty pirate Englishman yeah. would say. You sound like a Viking right <laughs> now, Donald. And exactly, that's the thing. It's it's the kind of economic reductionism he that would. Ex- how do you explain Rome's decadence then? Huh? I mean, Perry Anderson has his own theory that it was based in you know over reliance on slave labor. No, there just weren't enough hard men to create good times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's there's all kinds of different theories on what the decline of Rome was about. Anyway, yeah, that feudalism partly emerges out of te- bad taxation policy after the decline of Rome and over-reliance on slave labor, and that's almost an objectively provable fact. Well, you know, nothing like that at all. Mm. I mean, like, I used to read the same stuff yeah, by Anderson yeah. to figure out, like, hey, all the ideas that could have led to capitalism existed at the end of antiquity, but it didn't happen. Why? Oh, there seems to be a material cause. And, oh, look, it's not even the Christian's fault. <laughs> like, um, but it's it, you see this in... He does this again, and then there's this, there's, there's this stuff where he, this one's, this is fun. This is where you get into the light anti-Semitism, right? On this matter, he marks uh, here was aided by his Jewish instinct, which he himself characterized in his essay on the Jewish question. What, like that? You're going to that as your evidence for? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, nice. That's interesting. Yeah, real. That's real English. That's a pretty English essay. Wow, super English. Uh, the, the curse and the physical labor pronounced in the beginning. Well, the, way, of the way he talks about the English <laughs> is like the way that fascists talk about the Jews. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. The yeah, the English are the Jews. people. Um, the curse on the physical labor pronounced at the beginning of Genesis. The prohibition is defiling the Sabbath by work. I mean, like he says that. 
You could tell yeah. he's never actually read the essay on the Jewish question because. Well, yeah, you're basically using a nation. You're using a nationality slash ethnicity to stand in and personify international capital. I mean, plus he's a Jew, so I mean, he's got to be into Solomon, like. That's basically the style of argumentation and, and going like, on and there. Like, oh yeah, the Jews are lazy because of the Sabbath. Which I, you uh, know what? That's that's pretty cool actually. I never really thought of it like I that. I mean, to be fair, like Mar- Marx probably was influenced by Judaism in his early intellectual development because he came from like a fam- mm-hmm. long family of rabbis. Yeah, he was also, well, he was also, to be fair, they converted. It, his father converted at but, like age five. And he also has some real it bad was, faith arguments against Judaism to hide the fact that they. Anyway, no, uh um, Yeah, basically. <laughs> so Marx was a self-hating yeah, like, Jew after all. Yeah, he uh, kind of. Yeah. I mean, like, like most of the good Jews in history. Amen. The socialism of Fichte would all accuse right. such people of sloth. Was Fichte a socialist? I mean, like. Really? And it would brand them as irresponsible, dispensable shirkers and parasites, but Marxian instinct envies them. They are too well off and they should be revolted against. Marx has inoculated his proletariat with contempt for work. Yeah. Marxism isn't just being a hater. Yeah. Marx is you know not black like, guys. Like, yeah, ma- Marxism <laughs> is not that cool. Like like Marx, Marxism is literally it's it's seeing like Marx was inspired by like the horrible, degraded like conditions that like English workers were living in. He not that like the 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 people like that you know hanging out at you know whatever the equivalent back then of was the country club. I guess the country. I don't know. Like the people who were doing that was just like a, the grotesque like flip side of it. Like you're doing this in the back of these people's labor. It's the exploitation relationship. It's not. So say, uh, it's not just like hating people for having shit. Marx. Marx. Yeah. In in a sense, it, I would even maybe grant that some of the Englishness of Marx's experience makes him more militant because he saw the worst yes. of it. Uh, yeah, he's on the front lines of the development of right. capitalism. Yeah, yeah if, you, <laughs> like, if you don't like this, then pay attention. This is the paradigm right here. I mean, you know, that's that's it's to, to, and so basically, what what you get here is this like, oh, Marx is really just you know the spirit of resentment. A la, you know, slave morality. I mean, this is rework Nietzsche, but it's not yeah. even that honest. Like, yeah, it's it's that Nietzschean style anti-Semitism where it's not all the way, but you, you know, you still get that contempt for that slave morality. It, and, yeah, it's y'all, it's y'all jealous. Y'all jealous. Y'all jealous. Yeah. Petty. But dear God, don't actually attack the Jews because yeah. that would be bad. Yeah. Like, I mean, that was also yeah. true for Nietzsche, but like... Uh, all right, Oswald. Uh, at least Nietzsche was like, you know, at least they're not Christians, right? Like, <laughs> Jews, <laughs> all right. All right, people. You know, they're, they're not like the Greeks or anything, yeah. you know, the Greeks. Really, wow, the Christians are more Jewish than the Jews when you think about it. Well, yeah, that that, that is that <laughs> yeah. is sort of uh, Marx's critique of Christianity is like, oh, right. it's even more Jewish than Judaism. <laughs> um <laughs> That's what, like, some fashioned <laughs> pagans say. Like, oh, uh, Christians are just, like, cucked by the Jews, well, and they're I mean, spiritually cucked by the Jews. kind of. <laughs> but, yeah, he's a pagan, uh, isn't he? He wrote a whole book on being a pagan. Yeah. Um, yeah, Marx dreamed of a proletarian Phoenician who would own everything without any effort. That is, after all, the meaning of the expropriation of the blessed. As far as, I mean, like... 
the weird thing about this, like, I don't even know where he's getting some of this from. Like, well, well, the the point is, the point is, is that like Marx envies, Marx envies like the condition of the bourgeoisie is basically what they're saying that it wants to spread this spread this condition of worklessness and like you know luxury like like this is, getting this delivered is like when american conservatives try to critique marxism it's like yeah you know i kind of vaguely know about the existence of the soviet union so i'm basically just gonna like project the distorted western image of the soviet union onto the onto marx so marx just you know we you know, it's all about the family. He loves the family. He loves the family because Russia is like socially backwards, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he loves, and he's lazy. He just wants free he's shit. Lazy. He wants free shit. He loves vodka. He's really into drinking vodka. He's really into nuclear weapons. You uh, like hats? Yeah. He fucking loves hats. It was like exactly hats, like the thinking of hats. It, But it's interesting because how little how little Marx is in this as Marx. So like, whenever we get we get all this stuff, that's like. Oh look, the expropriation of the blessed. I guess that's some kind of Christian or Jewish reference. Not even I'm not catching Drug. because I'm not. Uh, How many times does he even quote Marx directly? I can't find a single one. I see. I, I see. Yeah. He mentioned Marx's yeah. essays, but I can't find a single quote. And I mean, I'll keep on reading. This kind of he doesn't episode, even quote like Babel or Kotsky no, or any of the other prominent Marxists. Yeah, he he just yeah. yeah he describes <laughs> Babel's <laughs> abs really in detail and how he kind of wants to grease up Babel's abs. <laughs> basically, like, if you if you if if Daddy Babel was here, he would. <laughs> Kick yeah, your, he would kick, he'd kick your, ass. your ass and join the war. He would be like, "Hell yeah, Prussia! Fuck you!" I mean, it's a little bit yeah. like Jordan Peterson talking about Stalin, where you're like, "Well, he kind of does have a slight man boner." I mean, it's a hate man boner, but it's a man boner. Yeah, for yeah. Jordan Peterson would definitely hate fuck Stalin. <laughs> I hear you, Derek. Well, loud Jordan and clear. Peterson like collects Soviet uh, art and shit and fills his house there with like Soviet memorabilia. Yo, I want to run that it, it, shit. It, it, I want to rob his house. Yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to like scan that stuff for genetic material and see like what. <laughs> kind of like I how I collect weird religious art, I guess. Um, this kind of ethics informs his economic thinking. What ethics? It is the Manchester School all over again, and exactly the thinking of Comden. So they basically then accuse him of like being negative about Bentham and Smith because he really wants to be Bentham and Smith. But since he is a critic right. only, negative and uncreative, he took his principles from the very thing he was fighting. Oh, look. Like, like. Yeah, Marx. Some people see solutions where others only see problems. Yeah, why are you such a hater, dude? Like, well, I why think, don't you be like, positive, Marx, man? I don't really think Marx had no ethics, but it was so much that Marx, he had, like, he has implicit kind of, like, Republican enlightenment yeah. ethics. Marx in thought Marx had no ethics, but he was wrong. Yeah, like his ethics is kind of basically just like the the sort of basic what you would call like common sense of radicals in his time, like these basic radical Republican Enlightenment ideals. And I think those were kind of what his ethics were. And his ethics and his politics and his whole project was informed by those. Uh, yeah, when people ethics. In I my mean, I opinion. know you can quote Marx about that, but like I've always, I, I have agreed with with anarchists when they said like, well, if you don't believe exploitation is wrong, then mm-hmm. like then yeah. like you could just use capital as a user's manual. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah. what the that's what the Chinese Communist Party is essentially doing is is trying yeah. to use you know capital as yeah. a ex, as a well, user manual. I mean, to be fair, in like. Basically, when you had like third 
uh, mm-hmm. like a lot of or a lot of communists instead of having having like ethics, they just had like a teleology. Like all of this has to happen. All right. This, we I need, don't need primitive to accumulation it because it's going to happen. Like right. We just need. We let's just get it over with. Let's do it in a really direct and brutal way, just so it gets but the done thing with quicker. Is, is that these movements were more than just ideas. You had, you know, thousands of workers who b- believed in these ideas and brought their own ethical systems and their own culture into contact with this kind of teleological vision. And so even if in its pure idealistic form, Marxism has no ethics, when put into practice, like the ethics of individuals will still affect it, in my opinion. Yeah, same. I mean... So I, I want to read this one more thing just for just for the lulls about how weird this can be. Um, Marx became an Englishman on one other score as well. In his mind, the state does not exist. Okay, um, he thought the stateless the state statelessly in terms of society. Oh, anti-Paul people are going to love that. But anyway. Um, like parliamentary practice in English, his economic world functions as a two-party system with nothing above the parties. What? <laughs> Within his scheme, there can be only combat and no arbitration, only victory or defeat, only the dictatorship of one or two parties. Of one of the two parties. The Communist Manifesto calls for the dictatorship of the good proletariat party over the evil capitalist. Marx saw no alternatives. And that's funny because, like, do you get that when you read the manifesto when he talks about how great capitalism was as opposed to feudalism or anything like that? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it reminds me of a quote by Bordiga, though, where he says that the communist manifesto needs to be rewritten to where capitalism is pure bad and communism is pure good, basically. And that the communist manifesto is flawed because, um, the Communist Manifesto is flawed because it gives too much credit to the bourgeoisie and capitalism. And so, and so Bordiga is like, we need a new Communist Manifesto that's just pure and like invariant anti-capitalism. And you know what the Communist uh, Manifesto, it's just not dick enough. It, can we up the, the just belligerence? It's, it's, just, it's just not on the manifesto. It's not, enough. It's not yeah, edgy also, enough. Like you, it's, it's, it's post Bordigas and Bordigas who get mad at me for critique of the Goethe program. Cause I'm like stages and they're like, no, there are no stages. And I'm like, Oh okay. yeah. Yes, there are <laughs> real informal subsumption. Yeah. Stages, uh, stagesum is one of the weakest, like uh, insults thrown around in my opinion. I'm and I've really accomplished <laughs> I mean, there are some stages, like, there is such thing as, like, incorrect stages. Yeah, like, dumb like, unilinear theories that all societies go through like, with the know, same say, stages. Say, like, in my opinion, like, an example of dumb stagism would be saying that uh, Iran has to have a color revolution before it can have a proletarian revolution. Right, because like, we have just, to have a bourgeois revolution first. So, you know. Like, in, like uh, for example, or for example, true. in Spain, 1936... We need to have a bourgeois revolution first, and then have a communist revolution, or that's absurd. You know, yeah. Are the yeah, re- yeah right. China counts because it had a bourgeois revolution, get, but it only lasted for like a year, and that's all you needed, just because you hit that stage for like thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah, not to get, <laughs> I would love to see not that. To get sidetracked, but, not to get sidetracked, but Iran technically had parliamentary <laughs> democracy for at least like, 10, say, like twenty years. But Iran had a, a, yeah. a revolution. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's just, just like the kind of stage I've encountered yeah. people who believe these kind. Of, like, there's people who argue that China can't have a proletarian revolution 
because it needs to like fully develop bourgeois democracy. It, it's it's you you get a lot of vulgar well, stagism and Marxism, okay, but at the like, same time, they, stagism. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how you read like say for example Marx's letter to Vera Zorlik and like say that shit though like. <laughs> <sighs> All right, we're way off. Uh, so, we do we all agree that this kind of like feels slightly Nazi, but not really? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that he wasn't a Nazi. So there you go. I I could I, I could see how the I could see how this like t- would tend in the direction towards Nazism, but there are some like you know key distinctions between him and like Hitler specifically. You know, I could see how the, this is very this is very fascist. Like it, it seems to have more affinities to me with Mussolini than with oh, yeah, like national socialism. This is part of like an entire kind of like interwar like counterculture of intellectuals who were trying to find a revolutionary alternative to Marxism that mm-hmm. was based in uh, nationalism. And also to liberalism. It wasn't e- they also didn't want to be into liberalism. They rejected they rejected both democracy and communism, but they weren't necessarily just monarchist. Like they wanted a revolutionary order. They believed that, in fact, that you know they were hostile towards mass politics, but kind of accepted it as something they had to use. And the fascists kind of fully embraced it. But it it was ultimately they wanted like this. You know, they wanted what they called the conservative revolution, and that's what this monarchist socialism is really all about for Spiegler. Yeah, it seems to me very, and like he did explicitly endorse Mussolini. I mean, like, so like to call it fascist is completely fair. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely fascist in that regard, in the in the, in the broader sense of fascism, as in yeah, like a, a counter enlightenment theory. But it's not Nazism, and and like I mean, I know that's like fine hairs on people, and people will get mad at me for insisting on fine-tailed distinction between kinds of reactionaries. But I actually I do think it somewhat matters. <laughs> like, well, not, it's a national, it's a square rectangle thing. Like national socialism and national socialism is a distinct form of fascism, in my opinion. Right. It's the, it it's a square. Have, it's a distinct form of fascism, but you can definitely see the major influences on like fascism is Nazism. the rectangle. You can definitely see like like when Hitler talks about Prussian so when Hitler talks about why he called the Nazi, why the Nazi party is national socialist. He's specifically referring to a German kind of socialism where it's class collaboration. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone is working towards the well-being of the nation. And it's not like this sort of selfish, this kind of selfish Anglo-Jewish capitalism that's materialistic merchant-based mindset, you know. It, it's, it's working towards that. It's it's what Jay Scott uh, Jay Scott would re Scott, Jay Jay Scott Sky would refer to as anti bourgeois. Ba- Jay Sakai. Yeah. 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 So Jay Yeah would be anti bourgeois like reactionaryism. I mean, look, um, there is a danger on this stuff on the. It is a it's it's definitely Nazi adjacent. I'm not even I'm, I'm not trying to say it's not, well, but it also has it's, plausible it's, deniability that say Hitlerism just doesn't. Right? right. Well, it's structurally it's structurally anti-Semitic, it, not literally anti-Semitic. But he also plays around with like the idea of race, and yeah, he has like his little like idiosyncratic like niche definition of it. But your average like 
dipshit reactionary German on the street, it probably isn't going to appreciate that nuance when he reads, you know, picks up one of his it's books. It's the same plausible deniability you know? of Evola, right? Like, like, yeah, he doesn't mean mm. race yeah, the same definitely. way everyone else means race, but he still means race. <laughs> like, well, yeah. I was saying, like, what I'm thinking is, like, Spangler is kind of like a almost like an expression of the organic ideology of the German reactionary militant. Like he kind of captures the, the, the spirit of the free Corps as a social movement in the same way Sorel kind of captured this reactionary tendency in syndicalism. I think right. uh, Spangor is yeah. kind of speaking way, for the free Corps as a social movement. In a way, I kind of think of like Spangler as sort of like, one version of the anti-Marx, like, there's, there's, like, three versions, there's, like, three sort of, like, big thinkers that you can sort of, like, describe Western thought with, in terms of, like, there's Ayn Rand, who's, like, counterposing herself as, like, against Marx, but it's coming from, like, a weird Anglo understanding, you know, yeah, Anglo with, like, Russian understanding. reactionary resentment that makes it even weirder. Like... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, like, okay... Marx is a collectivist. Marx doesn't appreciate how cool capitalists are as individuals. And we still have a materialist worldview, but it's not materialist in the same way that Marx is. It's, it's, it's just Anglo empiricist nonsense and that sort of thing. And then you have like the anti-Marx of like Spangler where it's like, yeah, my worldview is meta. The worldview is metaphysical we don't have any conception of causality, but we're still collectivists. We're still anti-bourgeois, but we're not necessarily anti-capitalists. We're just anti-bourgeois. And being anti-bourgeois is actually being anti-capitalist, where Marx is too capitalistic, too individualistic, etc. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's like the idea that Marxists are like uh, too obsessed with the economy. And that economy leads them to base that obsession with the economy basically leads them to mimic capitalism, essentially. Right, which is a very I mean, the the, the issue with that is it's an impoverished view of Marxism that doesn't realize what Marx set out to do. Like obviously, um like we can say Spinkler never read Hal Draper. I mean he couldn't have, it was, you know, fifty years later. But I mean like but in all seriousness, there's a real lack of understanding. And that but that lack of understanding. He could have read Labriola, for example. Right. Like you know, he. I mean, honestly, like just reading like a book, reading a book by Kotsky yeah. would probably yeah. he like be, he have just been pretty Marx. informative. He could have literally guy. just read he, Marx. He doesn't really care about like he doesn't he doesn't really care about Marx. He all he sees Marx as having this deleterious influence on the proud noble Prussian workers movement. That's true. And that's all he, that's all he cares right, about. Is, he sees that he had this bad effect and therefore he must be bad. Right, yeah, he just no sees like this he sees this German workers movement that could be this great force of national renewal but they're cucked by like this Marxist like ideology that just yeah. you know makes them cosmopolitan and materialistic and economistic. And also, I mean, a lot of, I mean, some of the stuff I was reading just a second ago, just so you know how completely off base some of it is. But in the beginning, I mean, I do want to emphasize that if, like, if you were like a vulgar second internationalist Marxist, like some of the stuff he says would have applied. Um, 
the reason why it doesn't work, it makes no sense. But like, like you would meet if you were just out, if you were just like a reactionary on the street in like 1922, like you would. Well, I think are, it was not so much a vulgar second internationalist Marxist as just like your average worker who's really resentful and pissed off at the bourgeoisie. And and, like, and kind, and kind of, of stuff that they so. would be saying. Like it's like when you yeah yeah it's like okay it's like when you get to like the worst forms of anti racism which is kind of dumb and a little bit chauvinistic like but makes sense <laughs> like and this is like why people would come to that because like they've been spit on all their life. Well, I think like Spangler's understanding of Marxism it, it probably comes from just like you know rallies. And just like public arguments and bar, like you know, bar arguments and stuff comes and, from YouTube and Reddit. Well, whatever their version of YouTube and Reddit at the time, and Tumblr and Twitter was, he he basically he basically saw, yeah, hanging out in beer halls and yelling at each other and calling each other bourgeois and attacking each other, and that's probably what he sees as Marxism. He probably sees like these workers as like envious and resentful. And very kind of like, and this is because they're not collectivist and self-sacrificing and loyal enough. Uh, you notice he's really into these feudalistic values of loyalty and and trust and and fealty, and, and, and he kind of wants to kind of bring back that feudalistic like hierarchy. Yeah, like we should fuse like the workers' movement, and or we should fuse like the communist movement with like the mafia and learn from the mafia and how to imitate. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's oh, such God. a good idea. What a what yeah, a brilliant it, it, idea! It's it's funny to me because what because it, the essential problem that he has honestly is it breaks the organic whole of the Prussian state. I mean, like really, that's what he's pissed off about. Because it's not like Marxists didn't talk about trust and fidelity and stuff. It's just for people who had your same interests. Like you trust other workers because it's in your interest to do so. Um, he, so that's. Yeah, but yeah, like Spangler, it's like it takes on this like greater like metaphysical moral system where you know. Well, doesn't it sound like, like Jordan a, Peterson like a hundred years ago? Like if you put Jordan Peterson, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but Jordan Jordan Peterson though, thing like he he doesn't seem to see see like the distinction between like you know like because Spangler is obsessed with this like this clash of like. Uh, civilizations basically between Prussianism and like you know Anglo Prussians are like this and Anglo's are like this <laughs> right but 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 Jordan Peterson he blurs the two together and he's like well actually this weird Jungian mysticism is the most rational thing there is and I can prove it with yeah. like ego so, psych like, basically uh. this is this is the uh the the final synthesis form where where the Anglo rational mind and the continental irrational like fidelity to the event or to the to the folk become one thing, which is this, this yeah, is a nightmare. Well, that's the bottom, <laughs> no, no, that's that's, the that's, that's just a nightmare. That's a nightmare. Look, well, that is that is that is this. <clears throat> that's the alt white, honestly. I mean, and, and in some ways, mm. the alt white is more dangerous than the. I, I know this is going to get me in trouble, right? But in some ways, the alt right mm. light is more dangerous than the alt right because the alt white is persuasive, where the alt right kills right. people. The alt light got on Joe Rogan. Yeah, well, the thing about the alt-light is they have people like Laura Southern. Yeah. And also, like, they have influence on, like, normie neocons like Ben Shapiro, really. Yeah, like, the thing is, the alt-light is more able to actually kind of, like, push the mainstream conservative movement to the right. They're the new Limbaugh's. Like, it's a real easy market. Are are they, like, the right-wing kind of, like, basically, like, Sochdams then, basically? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) They're, like, softball. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it... 
I, I don't want to compare Ben Shapiro <laughs> to Chapo, even though like that naturally comes to mind. Shapiro Trap House. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I'm thinking more like uh, what's what's the one comedian? I'm forgetting his name. Uh, well, there's all those people who do comedian Save got... America who now joined the DSA all of a sudden. Are you talking about like Milo or Kevin No, I'm McGinnis? talking about like uh, what's I'm forget Stephen Crowder. Stephen yeah, Crowder. Stephen Crowder. There's a lot of conservative comedians. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Louder with chowder. Yeah, I mean that's oh. all just really terrible stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's it's late. It's and late. We, yeah, and also like we. We pretty much exhaust the reason I think we are going around this is because the basic point can be made in about an hour. But Spiegler's Spiegler Spiegler's influence is actually kind of when you guys uh, approached me about this, I remember asking Leslie, like, what text we're going to do? Because like Spiegler's like both massive and massively mm-hmm. important, and yet also like nobody reads him really. I don't, th- I mean, people kind of half read Death of the West or they quote mine it, but like. I've met like five people who have actually read the whole thing. <laughs> so, and most of them are not Spingalians. I mean, like, uh, and, uh, not after you know, reading that whole thing. I mean, and, and also like the, uh, the Nazi deniability thing, which you, you like is, is an issue with, with him. That's, that's fascinating. Right. And it's the same thing you have with Ebola, the same thing you have with, with Junger. Um, at the same time, I think this one, the, the the causal relationship, and at least like the fact that you couldn't deny, even if the, you're even if you can you can deny it's Nazi-esque, you can't deny it's fascist. Like it's explicitly fascistic. Um, then there have been there have been time a lot of people who have tried to, you know, because of the way waste is used in here so weirdly to go back and rebiologize all this, and like that's that's definitely been attempted and um and yet also weirdly i mean there have been times where spinkler has been a gateway into you know into marxism i'm not gonna lie like when i was in weird reactionary circles in my early 20s like this thinking about history this way was the first time i thought about history systemically at all and then when i actually was like wait this mysticism doesn't make any sense (laughs) right i'm gonna go like they said on on the history It's, it's just funny reading like this kind of theory of history because it's just so irrational and it doesn't it just doesn't make any sense if you look at actual history as it's existed. What what I can give it credit for, yeah, is actually thinking about history like systemically and trying to look at patterns like for civilizations as a as a whole and thinking about them almost as like organisms. Like there are some interesting ideas there and. I think the other, and sometimes, you know, he will sort of like hit on something that maybe, you know, leftists might be more prone to ignore, like kind of the cultural habits of particular peoples that can sometimes, you know, prove to be factors when you're trying to, you know, change things on a systemic level, you know, like, I mean, like the, the social habits of, you know, like say Russian peasants were probably in some, in many ways, obstacles to ref- you know changing those societies in a fundamental way that oh, you know, you might don't not be say. totally understood. <laughs> so you know, it, like that, that, that that's stuff that's worth thinking about. But yeah, it's all it's all it's oftentimes like his framework seems like extremely arbitrary, and he goes, "Well, these people these people are, are Spanish, but these people are Italian, but even though geographically, you know, like it it, it just seems like he yeah. just kind of like well, that, you know changes things however well, to suit 
that's rooted in his critique of Anglo empiricism is that, oh, yeah, you guys think this is all causal when history doesn't work mm, like that. Yeah. History works the same way as morphology does, you know? It's just phases, but you can't really say that one phase right. caused the other. Yeah. Which is an interesting you know? argument, but not one that... <laughs> you you, you, you kind of have to have a very nebulous and vague notion of history to find to find parallel, you know, it's the same kind of thing where people like going back and looking at the Roman empire and then looking at the United States and they're like, well, but they're the same, you know, like, yeah, Trump. Yeah. Think about it. Trump is just like Caesar. Yeah, yeah. Like he's just seizing all the power for himself or Nero yeah. or yeah. Caligula. <laughs> yeah. Um, or man, like Monday night football is just like a bread and circus, man. Just yeah. Keeping the people passive with spectacles. Oh, no. I think I actually literally did that in an article once. <laughs> I mean, uh, we've all Trump done Nero. it. I mean, that's the thing, like... It's a fun one. I like to think of Trump as Nero. No, I, I mean, mean but... I compared America to Rome. Well, everybody oh, compares well, that... America to Rome. Like, well, Americans okay. compared America to yeah. Rome. Like, when we set up the, the Republic, founders compared, was... <laughs> The founders compared America to Rome, but like, at, while at they were setting sense, it up. Yeah. So it that, rhymes. That's, it's not that's the same playing. thing. Yeah. Right? Like, it that's actually is, in some ways, materially different. And... If, with Spiegler, you would never be able to explain that. He, all he might say is, oh, it's just a different moth. What The question that I want to raise to all you peeps that I really am fascinated by, why on earth is this popular in America? Uh, yeah, that's what's weird. Like, the blood and soil nationalism, like, yeah, I get the theory of civilizations with Huntington, but even then, they would he wouldn't have embraced, like... The I for Huntington, for example, would have avoided the idea that Prussian civilization is different from... French civilization is different from English civilization. Um, I mean, maybe maybe he really is one of those authors that like everybody quotes, but nobody reads. I mean, yeah, know? like I mean, why was Jack Kerouac and like all of the kind of like beat like hipster people and hippies into him? I think it's because like in America, like there's this kind of yearning for spiritual understanding that Spangler might kind of tap into. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with that, but I think we are seeing. Um, I have talked about Trump being a figure of the Europeanization of American politics and people don't get what I mean by that, but like, like this appeal to like, like, yeah, the, and this appeal to like a mystified secular right, as opposed to like an explicitly like fundamentalist Christian right, or like a neoconservative, like hyper instrumentality. Um, mm. and it does seem yeah. to be something right now, like. Maybe it was – I mean it might be as simple as scary black man president. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean I feel like I feel like it's what – it, what it is with Trump is the same thing I think that it was with Obama. I think there's like a fuck it element to it where it's like – wait, this guy's name is Barack Hussein Obama? Yeah, fuck it. I'll put yeah, that I mean one. we do forget that there, like, yeah, Obama like... was a political outsider at some point. <laughs> like, I mean kind or it's like, of. Or it's yeah. like, I mean he was a senator. Don, Donald, Donald Trump? Yeah, fuck yeah, I mean, it. but Donald Trump fuck is a it. rich like. I mean, yes, he's gauche, but he's he's right. like, he's he's a Manhattanite. I mean, like the last time we've had because of the uh, relationship to of Manhattan to like the public perspective of power, we haven't had uh, you know a New York president in a long time. I mean, but the I, I mean, it is something. But I don't think his being from New York matters. Like, I think his being on TV <laughs> yeah. matters. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well. well Last election was New York versus New, well, kind of fake New York. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, it was a subway series. So yeah. it's, yeah, exactly. uh, it, but we live in this weird time where all these weird fringe, like 
twenties and thirties ideas that you that have been in play in American culture in this countercultural way for a long time have real purchase in ways that that like kind of make little sense to me. I mean, yeah, it's weird that I was in the nineties. I was given Spiegler in high school, but also like who did this to you? It was it was it was a weird (laughs) hipster poet nerd. I mean, we used to read Nietzsche and Marx together in high school. Like, it was just because that was the cool thing to do. And you okay. could get it in the library. <laughs> like, wow. Like, what high school did you go to? Um, Podunk, Georgia High School. What the um, fuck? All right. Sure. We, we still had libraries back then, dude. Like, wow. <laughs> what else do you have in Georgia? I mean, like, uh, I mean, it, it, well, we don't anymore. <laughs> Um, also, I have no idea, like, why these random weird books were donated. Like, like they were also, like... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, I'm cashing in my chips. I'm giving up the fash game. I'm hanging up my armband. Um, I'm gonna go play I mean, in, a, in a post-rock band. I mean, but... No, it was in the library at some local, like, clan hall, but they didn't have enough members in it or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It. We I mean, lost the, the hall, man. The thing is, like... In Georgia, if you'd have mentioned Spengler amongst like weird neo Confederates, they wouldn't have known who he was. They would have known like Richard Weaver, and um, and uh, uh, the agrarian poets like John Carr Ransom and stuff, which we don't know anymore. But you know, like it would have been explicitly neo Confederate, not this European stuff. What if there was one kind of like artsy dude who was in the clan who everyone kept calling him a faggot, <laughs> and he got frustrated and quit? <laughs> And that's where that's where he just turned his books in there. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sick of you calling me names. I'm taking my books and I'm leaving. Good day, I mean, sir. Also, I'm gonna go start the all right in the, in, the li- in the library. We got Nietzsche in the library. Um, yeah. Like in my college library, it was hard to find mm-hmm. Foucault at times. Like, but um, my my only point is like it was a weird time period, but it was also like that was super countercultural mm. and. <clears throat> I, most people would have not most adults would have not even known what I was you know reading that's probably why no one was freaking sure. out about it like um so but right now you can go on YouTube and look this up and I know I know for a fact if I were to ask my high school kids you know because I teach high school if anyone have heard it speak or somebody would raise their hand like and maybe more than three or four That's it for this week. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at swampsidechats at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out our social media, you can leave us a good review on iTunes, or support us on Patreon. So until next time, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow.